pain has reached epidemic proportions in America. I'm Dr. Paul Christo. This is Aches and Gains. Dr. Paul Christo is one of America's leading experts on relieving pain. He's board-certified, Harvard-trained, and a pain medicine specialist at Johns Hopkins. U.S. News and World Report ranks him as a top doctor and among the top 1% in the nation for pain management. Becker's Review selected him as one of the 70 best pain management physicians in America. He's listed as a super doctor for the Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Northern Virginia area. Aches and Gains is a weekly talk show covering all aspects of pain and pain relief. The human impact is real. Older adults, children, and even infants struggle to cope with pain. But there's hope, and there are treatments that can ease pain and suffering. The show offers compelling stories about people who've found relief. We share cutting-edge treatments from contributing experts, and we offer ways to help people cope with their pain. Welcome to the show. Dance is one of the earliest forms of artistic expression. Dancers use their bodies to communicate feelings and ideas. Professional ballet dancers are elite athletes who train their bodies for high-performance aerobic endurance, muscular strength, flexibility, and good joint stability. There are risks, though. In fact, ballet dancers are at significant risk of musculoskeletal injury from the demands of training and performance. They often overload joints, the ligaments surrounding joints, and muscles. According to recent reviews, 95% of dancers in any form of artistic dance suffer from musculoskeletal pain. Mary Helen Bowers is an acclaimed ballerina who danced with the New York City Ballet for 10 years. She's trained Victoria's Secret supermodels, Liv Tyler, and trained Natalie Portman for her Academy Award-winning role in Black Swan. Mary Helen transformed her own fitness and workout program as a professional ballerina to an innovative exercise and wellness program. It's called Ballet Beautiful. She's here to share the benefits of the program, how it can help ease musculoskeletal pain, and how she made Natalie Portman look like a professional ballerina. Then, Dr. Peter Levine joins us. He's an orthopedic surgeon specializing in sports and performing arts medicine. Dr. Levine is the vice president and president-elect of the International Association for Dance, Medicine, and Science. He'll provide expert guidance on preventing and treating both pain and injury in ballet dancers. Aches and Gains is supported by Teva Pharmaceuticals, The Pain Community, and Boston Scientific. For live online listening to Aches and Gains, please go to paulchristomd.com. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. After dancing for a decade with the New York City Ballet and on stages around the world, Mary Helen Bowers developed a unique fitness program called Ballet Beautiful. Mary Helen, welcome to Aches and Gains. Thank you for having me. At first, what made you decide to become a ballerina? Well, I think that ballet is something that I've always loved. Somehow I was just very drawn to it. Mm -hmm. Um, No one in my family is a dancer. I don't come from a family of performers or even athletes, really. Um, But I loved dancing when I was a little kid, and and that was just the thing that I fell in love with um, and how I how I wanted to spend my life. Well, you know, speaking of falling in love, I've read that some fall in love with ballet at the age of five. How old were you? I was three when I took my first dance class, but it was seven, eight years old when I got started with my serious training. Well, that's still pretty young. Uh, were your parents supportive? Very. Yeah. I mean, I think that my parents were always incredibly supportive of me dancing and, and of pursuing my dreams and 
you know, I was 15 when I was invited to to come to New York City to study at the School of American Ballet, which is the official school for New York City Ballet. You know, they supported me in, in making that move. So I had to come as a 15-year-old, um, but I wanted to. It was the thing that I was, you know, the most excited about. And a year later, I was dancing in the company. Wow. Um, I was very young when I was invited to join New York City Ballet, mm-hmm. so things moved quickly and um, sort of been living and dancing and working in New York City ever since. Mary Helen, what kind of training is necessary as a professional ballerina? I mean, in terms of intensity and frequency. It's an incredibly demanding career physically, and you know, it all begins with really that first ballet class. Mm-hmm. So as a professional dancer, you're going to be taking ballet class every day, and that's something that starts for most people when you're a child. It could be five years old. It could be a little bit older, eight. But most people aren't starting much past that because if you can imagine I was a professional by the time I was 16, which is on the young side, but you've got to get your body prepared, prepared for that journey. Right. For me, I began training when I was in North Carolina, it started with one ballet class a week, and the next year, two, three, you know, before long, I was taking ballet every single day after school, mm-hmm. um, and that was really when I knew that was how I wanted to spend my life and what I wanted to be doing every day. Um, so that was by the time I was a teenager and then living and um, dancing in New York City. So for a professional dancer, the schedule is even more intense. Uh, you're taking you're taking ballet class in the morning, rehearsing throughout the day. So you may take class from ten thirty to twelve, rehearse from about twelve to six, with you know a break for lunch mm-hmm. at some point, and then you've got a show at eight p.m. in the evenings, and that's um, six days a week, really. Yeah, on the weekend you've got two shows on Saturday, one show on Sunday, um, and you've got one one rough day a week, which for us was Monday, and that's a very important day to make sure that you give your body that time to heal and regenerate and rest. Wow. I mean, that's really intense. And Mary Helen, what did you do after you spent 10 years with the New York City Ballet? At a certain point, I was ready to pursue other things and retired and went to Columbia University and finished my bachelor degree. Good for you. Mary Helen, how much pain is involved in dancing? For me, I was very fortunate. Ballet is so demanding, but quite a lot of it was more natural for my body, which is, I think, one reason why it felt like it was just meant to be. Mm-hmm. Ballet specifically can be very hard on the hips because you're, you know, the hips are being opened in a way that for a lot of body types is pretty unnatural. My hips happen to be very naturally open, and so that was something that I never had to struggle with and, and I never have really had much pain in my hips at all. Mm-hmm. On a daily basis, any dancer is dealing with blisters, with bruised toenails, with pain in your feet. Yeah, in fact, one review found that foot and ankle injuries are the most common for professional and amateur ballet dancers. Mary Helen, do ballet dancers train and perform in pain? Yes, definitely. <laughs> I think that's par for the course. I think dancers are famous, I think, in medical circles almost for having a very high pain tolerance. Mm -hmm. There's a certain amount of pain that you have to endure if you're going to put your feet in point shoes and perform on a daily basis. Sure. You know, I I read a study, though, that showed that 15% of injured ballet and modern dancers did not report their injuries. Do you feel like that's accurate? Yeah, and it depends on the injury. I mean, there's things that you can manage and that you can push through maybe 
the muscle is tweaked and you can find a way to work around it Mm -hmm. versus, I mean, if, if, if a bone is broken or something is torn, your body is, is not going to let you continue. Exactly. I wonder whether many dancers probably don't view themselves as injured, even if they have to modify dance movements due to pain. I mean, have, have you seen that? Um, I have to say, unless I was out, which means that I was not performing, I was actually off stage mm-hmm. due to an injury, I wouldn't necessarily consider myself injured. <laughs> <laughs> So I think that some of that's just a mentality and it's not necessarily for the best because sometimes you might push past something and perform possibly when you shouldn't. And as you know, ignoring pain can have consequences too. It definitely can have consequences and certainly it can lead to chronic pain and disability. Mary Helen, how about the pressure to continue to dance despite substantial pain and possible injury? I mean, does that exist? For example, uh, would the ballet dancer not want to affect their production or let the company down? It's hard to sort of stop that machine. If if you are not on stage, someone is taking your spot quite literally, and, right. and that's never a good feeling, um, to be perfectly frank. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to step back and look at it through the lens of this is going to help the longevity of your career and to make that sort of decision. Well, not to mention the threat of job loss. I don't know that you're thinking about losing your job as much as all of your life's energy is devoted towards being on stage. And so it's hard to step back Mm -hmm. and let someone else fill that spot because the show goes off, right? (laughs) Right, right. Quite literally, it does. And so that can be a hard decision to make because it may be what's best for your long-term career and for your body. It's finding that balance, I think, is something that every dancer struggles with. Mm -hmm. How did Mary Helen get through the pain of her injuries? We'll share the details right after the break. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by Teva, the leading global pharmaceutical company committed to increasing access to high-quality health care by developing, producing, and marketing affordable generic medicines, as well as innovative and specialty pharmaceuticals. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. Welcome back. We're here with Mary Helen Bowers, acclaimed ballerina and creator of an innovative exercise and wellness program called Ballet Beautiful. Mary Helen, when you were injured and developed pain, how did you get through the pain? I mean, did you use medications, physical therapy, injections? I never did any injections. We did a fair amount of massage therapy and physical therapy just to keep the body in a more relaxed state and hoping to like help with inflammation or, you know, maybe you need an adjustment or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. Now, Mary Helen, over the course of your 10-year career as a professional uh, ballet dancer, what kind of injuries do ballerinas and ballet dancers typically experience? It really just depends. I mean, I think that stress fractures are very common and the metatarsals, very small bone at the top of the feet down towards your toes. Mm -hmm. They could be tendinitis. Some people have trouble because it ends up that they have an extra bone in their ankle that's just getting from all of the pointing and the flexing and the jumping and the pushing is rubbing against a tendon and creating this like terrible friction. So I know a lot of dancers who've had to have a, a small surgery to have that bone removed. You know, people with plantar fasciitis, which I know is really common in runners and incredibly painful. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people tear their muscles and tendons Mm -hmm. and 
their knees and various places. And so that can be really difficult too. Yeah, I imagine. Let's now talk about the steps that should be taken to reduce the risk of injury. I mean, for example, previous studies have suggested that the floor should be even, the studio should be warm, there should be an awareness of the need of active rest. What do you think? I think that those measures can make a big difference. Mm-hmm. You mentioned having the floors leveled. A lot of times with dance, you're looking for a floor that has been sprung, as they say. It has some air in it, you know, specially built floor for dance that's going to give a little bit mm-hmm. when you're jumping. Okay. And that's going to really help soften the impact on your body and it could certainly help prevent things like stress fractures, plantofasciitis. You know, it can be a challenge as a professional dancer. When you're traveling, you might be on a stage. If you're overseas, it could be raked, for example. And a rake is an incline on the stage. So a lot of the older theaters in Western Europe the stage is inclined and the audience is flat, where in the U.S. we're used to stadium seating and, of course, a flat stage. Mm-hmm. So it's really quite a huge adjustment for the body, as you can imagine. Right. You've got to adjust your whole center of balance to perform literally on a, on a hill. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> That's going to increase your chance of injury because you're more likely to slip or fall, um, lose your balance potentially. So I think that regulating the space that you're performing in certainly can help. I can definitely see that. Mary Helen, it was a pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Doctor. It was a pleasure. Please join us for part two when we learn about Mary Helen's innovative exercise and wellness program called Ballet Beautiful and find out how she made Natalie Portman look like a professional ballerina. Next up is Dr. Peter Levine, orthopedic surgeon specializing in sports and performing arts medicine. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by The Pain Community, a web-based nonprofit created by people living with pain. Check out paincommunity.org for information, references, advocacy tools, and a premium section to securely interact with other members in forums and chat rooms. Boston Scientific, a leader in microelectric implantable technologies used to treat chronic neuropathic pain. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. Dr. Peter Levine is an orthopedic surgeon in the D.C. metro area. He's been a consultant for Cirque du Soleil and for professional dance and ballet companies at the Kennedy Center, National, and Warner Theaters. Dr. Levine, welcome to Aches and Gains. Thank you. How did you become interested in specializing in sports and performing arts medicine? Well, I was always interested in sports medicine, and it was an area which I'd planned on pursuing. Uh, my father was an orthopedic surgeon who took care of the Redskins and took care of all the University of Maryland athletic teams as well as it was the Bullets then, but now the Wizards. Mm-hmm. When I was uh, completing my training, I ended up working with a group of dancers from Cirque du Soleil, and that sort of set me on the path of being interested in dance injuries mm-hmm. Performing arts injuries. Now, now, Peter, you are the president-elect of the International Association for Dance Medicine and Science. Tell us about that organization. Well, it's a great organization that's very diverse in terms of the number of members who are osteopaths, orthopedic surgeons, primary care doctors, physical therapists, athletic trainers. And it's a large group of people from all over the world who treat dancers and performing artists. Okay. Now, among the various forms of dance, such as modern, tap, folk, ballroom, for example, where does ballet rank in the risk of musculoskeletal injury and pain? Well, ballet is almost in a class by itself because it takes a certain physique and a certain body type and a certain amount of training 
to do ballet dance. And it's really the platform that everybody starts with and then expands to these other forms like modern dance. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very rigorous and it requires certain flexibility skills and certain balance skills that some of the other forms don't involve. But all forms of dance are prone to injury, especially uh, many of those injuries are technique-related. If your technique isn't really perfect in ballet, then your chances of making it professionally are are really non-existent. Mm -hmm, Right. And and most of those injuries are musculoskeletal injuries compared to nerve injuries, for example. Uh, Dr. Levine, the prevalence of musculoskeletal injury, in fact, in professional ballet is quite high. Most are overuse injuries involved with stressing the joint to its extreme capacity. Well, overuse injuries are very common in uh, modern dance and, and ballet, but especially in ballet dance. Mm -hmm. And again, it's somewhat technique related. So that if your technique isn't proper, your chances of getting tendonitis of your foot and ankles and certain tendons in your foot and ankle are much higher or an injury to the capsule of the hip or the labrum of the hip, uh, which is more of a very specific injury that we see and ballet dancers more than other dance forms. You mentioned the labrum of the hip, and that is a ring of cartilage that holds the ball of the thigh bone in place within your hip socket. With respect to the foot and ankle, what specific injuries are you seeing? I mean, tendon tears, fractures, uh, ligament tears? Well, you see both. When uh, pre-professional studios are increasing their demands on the students to get ready for the nutcracker, we see a a number of increased episodes of tendonitis Mm -hmm. and inflammation of the joints or the capsules of joints in the foot and ankle. But we also see stress fractures of the foot are very common. Those are also overuse injuries and an important component of that is the nutritional health of the child. Ballet is a demand where the thin body is definitely in in ballet. Uh There are nutritional concerns that students and professional ballet dancers really have to meet the demand of the aesthetics plus the demand that they're putting on their body. Speaking of the importance of nutrition, in one study, eating disorders were reported in a third of the dancers, mainly occurring in women and ballet dancers. How do eating disorders impact the risk of injury and surgical outcome? Well, the risk of injury goes up as your nutritional health goes down. And Mm -hmm. so a lot of dancers uh, might be bulimic or anorexic, and they think that they're doing themselves a favor by staying very, very thin, and that gives them an advantage because they have the aesthetic look for ballet. But the reality is that opens up a tremendous uh, potential for an injury, Mm -hmm. and it actually increases their risk of not making it into the professional realm of of being a classical ballet dancer. Uh, Most ballet dancers or most modern dancers are just you know, one injury away from a career-ending situation. And so they really have to take it seriously Mm. and eat properly and have proper nutrition. Right. Other areas of the body at risk seem to be hamstring injuries and spinal injuries. How often do you see these? Well, hamstring injuries can be very common, especially in modern dance, because a lot of the movements are quick. We also see hamstring injuries occur that the performer is doing a routine where there's a large break of time in between different segments of the performance, and mm-hmm. you know, their muscles may tighten up and they may get a hamstring injury. Right. Spine injuries can happen. Uh, some of them are overuse injuries of the back. More commonly, it's musculoskeletal injuries rather than a nerve injury, although we do see 
see some disc injuries and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. But disc injuries are not as common as musculoskeletal injuries would be. Do the injuries differ between men and women? Well, they do, uh, especially in ballet, because women are on point, and that's a very unique uh, demand on the foot and ankle that to do properly, not that many non-ballerinas can really take the demands on the foot and ankle. And what is on point? Uh, On point means that they're actually up on their toes in a special shoe, and that shoe allows them to actually be weight-bearing through the shoe, but on their toes themselves, as opposed to having your toes bent and being on the ball of your foot, Mm -hmm. which is called demi-point. Um, And so you're getting up uh, on your toes, and in order to stay up there, you have to have a certain degree of flexibility of your foot and ankle so that you can create a straight line of your foot and ankle that goes up your tibia and then up your knee. And that allows you to balance up on point. Mm -hmm. And it's a very demanding uh, place to be. Mm -hmm. And male dancers don't do that type of configuration. Uh, But they do things that female ballerinas don't do, which is they have lifting partners, and so they are more likely to have uh, upper extremity injuries, shoulder injuries from lifting partners. Mm -hmm. And what they do is really uh, highly skilled and requires very good timing and very good training in order to move the ballerina so gracefully through the air when they're assisting their partner. Right. Uh, Peter, what kind of surgeries are you typically performing in ballet dancers? Well, the majority of the surgeries are probably related to foot and ankle surgeries. Some patients will have trouble getting up on point because they have an accessory bone, Mm -hmm. which is blocking their ability to get up uh, on point. Uh, Other dancers may have injuries to the labrum, and they may have snapping or clicking of the labrum or a frank tear of the labrum that needs to be repaired in the hip. Mm-hmm. And so it really depends on the type of injury. Of course, surgery is always the last resort because many of these injuries can be treated non-operatively with physical therapy and anti-inflammatories, right. proper training. We always uh, try to get the dancer back in with their dance teacher so that we're sure that their technique is proper and there's nothing that they're doing that's accentuating their injury But surgery, unfortunately, while it's the last resort, is sometimes necessary. Of course. But how successful is surgery in getting dancers back to performing? If a dancer has an isolated tear of the labrum of their hip and that can be repaired, that dancer is going to do much better than a dancer who has a tear of the labrum plus some wearing or early arthritis of the hip that's called chondromalacia. Mm-hmm. Anytime we start to see early wear of a joint or early arthritic changes or bone spurs and things of that nature um, that can impinge on the hip joint, then those indicators are of a worse prognosis. If it's an isolated labral tear, on the other hand, their chances for recovery are much improved. Okay. Now, Peter, if injury becomes a career-ending event, what do the dancers end up doing? So, I mean, you would be amazed at the age of some of the people that I see in the office who come in and, you know, they may have been dancing their whole lives and they're in their 60s, 70s, 80s. Wow. And uh, they still go to dance class or yoga class. Usually when a dancer has a significant injury in their late 30s, it usually heralds the end of their dancing career and a lot of them will start slowing down and perhaps working more on teaching or choreography 
because of their experience with the medical profession, many become physical therapists or even physicians or uh, athletic trainers to continue working with dancers in a professional way that doesn't involve dance. Okay. Dr. Levine, it was great having you on the show today. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Please join us for part two when we find out whether the movie Black Swan with Natalie Portman accurately depicts the life of a ballet dancer and how they deal with pain and injury. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. The views and opinions expressed in this radio program are solely the views of Dr. Paul Christo and do not necessarily express the views of this radio station and Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, nor an endorsement by any or all of them of any of its content. This show provides medical information, not advice. Please consult your personal physician before engaging in any course of treatment or use of any of the techniques or products discussed on this show. Discussion of particular uses of products on this show have not been approved by any of the manufacturers of such products. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. Aches and Gains is produced by Tom Blair and Ty Ford. Elsa Langford is the technical consultant and engineer. Dr. Paul Christo is the executive producer. Thanks for listening. This is Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo.